Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Puck Off. I am your host, Chris Nozick. As you know, this week, Andrew is in Vegas, but I am joined by another amazing guest, one of the greatest hockey minds that I know, the one and only Dominic Tiano. You know him from Twitter, at Dominic Tiano. Amazing insight. Dom, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you doing? How have you been? I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, you know, thanks for having me on. And if I had known Andrew was going to be in Vegas, I would have given sent him five bucks to place a bet for me. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how much casino time he's getting, but he is on vacation. So if I know Andrew, he's going to be quite drunk and he might have forgot to do the bet anyway. <laughs> ah, yeah, well, you never know, right? <laughs> so, but we'll welcome him back next week. Um, obviously, very Bruins organizational depth knowledge with you. But before we dive into Boston, I want to start a little bit more broader across the league. First and foremost, get some of your insights on some things that are going on with some of these other teams. Uh, ironically, they're all pretty much in Canada uh, with the exception of the first one. I want to start with San Jose. What are your thoughts with how bad they've been? Oh, I, you know, I'm reminded of the expansion Washington Capitals. That's that's how bad they've been. Um, I don't know, man. That's a dumpster fire. Um, and, you know, I think if they start dealing off pieces like Hurdle, uh, it's going to get worse and, and a lot worse. I just, I don't know. I saw an interview with um, all the defensemen there. Um, was it Carlson? Because I know he did one recently about uh, no, no, still, still, in, still in San Jose. Um, they they oh, have defensemen. Yeah, the, the the most experienced one. It'll come to me in a sec. Classic? Yes, yes, and he said, uh, basically, all he said is, you could see his face was down. And he said, you know, we just have to go out there play to the system, play as a group, and hope this ends soon. And, uh, like, there was no positivity in his voice whatsoever. Um, so, you know, it, it's bad. Um, they were designed to be bad. I don't think they were designed to I be bad. I don't this think bad. it's bad. No. One, one thing that I do keep hearing, and and it's just obviously the general fan question, uh coaching 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 they got to make a coaching change when are they going to make a coaching change i mean this is kind of what you brought david quinn in to kind of trudge you through is it not yeah exactly exactly like coaching makes such a huge difference at at the nhl level and i know in in interacting with uh with you guys on some of the podcasts through the off season uh, when we were talking about the Atlantic division, I said, and, and, you know, everybody was in on their predictions on the standings. I, If you remember correctly, I said, the Atlantic division is going to come down to coaching. And and I, I think we're seeing that uh, right now in the Atlantic division. Um, I'm not sure that any coach can go into San Jose right now and make a difference. I mean, they want to be bad. 
Uh, do they want to be the Arizona Coyotes bad or the Chicago Blackhawks bad? Uh, they're a lot worse. They're yeah. a lot worse. I don't know that any amount of coaching is going to help. Yeah, it, I, I just sit there and I go, I had someone who was like, oh, these these guys can score, you know, all these things. It's the coach, it's the coach. I'm like, what guys can score? Like, the, the players that they brought in, yes, there's potential there, but they've all had, for one reason or another, reasons in their career why they haven't performed to what they're capable of on a consistent right. basis. So at that point, I sit there and go, you don't have the scorers that you think you have. So it's the team it's not the coach it's the team you got to yeah. ride it out and you know if you're going to be this bad i guess be this bad for one year is is, uh, is the I, hope? I i think this is more than the one year i think that you're looking at at two at least two now you could have a coach like claude julian go in uh lock things down and you wouldn't lose 10 to 1 you might lose 4 to 1 or 3 to 1 um, you know, but coaching isn't going to help there. No, it, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on the coaching thing. Um, it's funny though, that you mentioned kind of locking it down defensively because one of the other teams I wanted to start off with, um, it's kind of funny because Mackenzie Blackwood's safe percentage is still better than the entire team safe percentage for the Edmonton Oilers who just waved Jack Campbell. Was it yesterday or today? I don't even remember when I yesterday. saw it. Do we know? I'm assuming he cleared with his eight. I, I'm pretty sure he cleared. Yeah. With his 860 something save percentage. So yeah. The question becomes, what does Edmonton do in goal? Obviously people are shouting to the moon that the Bruins should trade Allmark there. And we will put a pin in that and come back to it. Uh, defensively, they're a disaster and they have a big matchup against the Sharks. Ironically, tomorrow where they could be tied if the Sharks win. <laughs> they could yeah. be tied in the standings. So your outside perspective of the Edmonton Oilers, obviously they didn't get off to the start that they wanted to. There was some slow scoring, but this goaltending mess, I mean, where do you think they go with it? I don't know where they're going to go with it. Um, I don't know that there's much of an option. Like Ken Holland can can call 31 other general managers about a goaltender. But uh, I, I put this out on Twitter this morning, I think. The last number one goaltender to be traded uh, prior to December 1st was Sean Burke in 1999. Yeah, number one. So to find they just don't get dealt. No, they particularly this time of year, Chris. So they're they're gonna have a hard time uh, finding a goaltender. Their best bet is to go to Europe and and find a, a free agent goaltender and sign them. Who because they they won't have to clear uh, European reentry waivers before December twenty seventh. So. Um, they're they're not getting Allmark or any other number one goaltender at this time of year. I, I mean, not you know the sad thing, top player the in the league. Thing, well, yeah, I mean, and I like the Oilers. I I really really do. I think if they had a legitimate number one goaltender, that 
they would be a legitimate contender. And, you know, placing their bets on Jack Campbell um, was a mistake to begin with. Yeah, I think we all looked at his last year in Toronto and we're like, I would be weary of, you know, buyer yep. beware kind of thing. I wonder if Anton Hudobin's still kicking around. <laughs> uh, I think he officially retired. Did he? You, you, you know, the name I heard being floated around for them is Halak. Okay, but now, he just signed in uh, Carolina on a PTO because they lost Freddie Anderson. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's the, the right. The thing that I thought earlier on Twitter was they were gonna try. They were gonna try and call St. Louis to get Bennington. You know, for as as much of, of a clown Bennington can be, I remember his days with the Owen Sound Attack in in the Ontario Hockey League, and when he puts his concentration and his effort into goaltending, he's a, a very, very good gold. He's an NHL caliber number one goaltender. We saw it uh, on the cup. He he has yeah. a very high ceiling. I wouldn't blame him for that. I, I almost wonder if based on where St. Louis is, they sit there and they go, well, we can take on the reclamation project and goal that is Jack Campbell and, you know, make the money work by doing something around that. But I mean, if you're St. Louis, you're not completely out of it yet. So I'd be like, hang on, let's let's see where we go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which goes back to earlier. That's why you don't see them traded at this time of year. I mean, we're not even halfway through November yet, and teams are still trying to, as you say, figure out where they're at, and they're not going to give up a major piece uh, at this point because there's too much of an unknown. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point, if I'm Edmonton, I'm throwing darts at a dartboard, dartboard in the middle of the night with no light on. I might as yep. well call up. Uh, they have this kid, Oliver Rodriguez, or Rodriguez down in uh, Bakersfield. I mean, he's only made two starts, so I'm not trying to make this otherworldly thing. He's got like 61 or 63 saves or something, but at 23 years old, you just pick him up, you go, hey, we're, we're playing – the Sharks. So this is like you're still in the AHL. Here's yeah. your action. Play your game, and if you do well, you get to stay up. If you don't, don't worry about it. Like you got some NHL action, learn from it. And I mean, and if, you you never yeah. know when you're gonna find lightning in a bottle, right? Uh, exactly. Everybody everybody forgets where was Jordan Bennington playing before the St. Louis St. Louis Blues called him up. He, he wasn't was even on on their AHL affiliate. He was on the Bruins affiliate in Providence. It just it and and Jonathan Quick did not become Jonathan Quick by not playing, right? And so it just it, it, it happened. Aiden Hill last year, like, are they going to need another goaltender at some point? Yes, we all know that. But maybe yep. this kid can come up and give you. A three or four game spark. That's enough. Right now, the division is close enough. That's a spark that can get you right back in this race. Maybe he doesn't, but at least then you can look back and go, we tried something. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's the big thing is, is you, you have to be able to say, we tried something different and this isn't going to cost you pieces off your roster. You, you tried to lose Jack Campbell to waivers. Let's be real. That's what they were trying to do. Yeah, it, it didn't work. They're going to save a little bit of money on the cap. Maybe that allows them to bring in 
someone who has a, a slightly larger contract, a name that, and we just talked about Carolina that I'm really curious about is Pietor Kochekov. Cause he's obviously playing for the lightning affiliate in the American hockey league, but they signed them to that four year, $8 million contract. Then they re-sign Ranta. They re-sign Anderson and they go, well, we got three guys, but now I like, why, why not re-sign one of them and then have Kochekov be the number two? Like, has he dipped that far in their view? And at that point, if you're Edmonton, go, well, why don't we try him for something inexpensive? Like, you're, you're looking at a third guy anyway. Uh, Detroit, I think, has Alex Lyon. Maybe you can catch some lightning from him. Like, there are plenty of teams out there with three guys that you should be able to make a reasonable offer on a lower depth chart guy that you're a little bit more familiar with to try and get something. Yeah, but if I'm Ken Holland, I'm thinking I've got to go for the best I can get. And and you may be better off going to find a guy in Europe um, who it's not going to cost you any assets. It's only going to cost you cash. Uh, you don't have to put him through European reentry waivers at this point. And, um, you know, the, the unfortunate part when you're trying to make a trade is everybody knows, everybody knows the situation Edmonton is in. So you've got them over a barrel instead of, let's say goalie X costing you a fourth round pick. He's now going to cost you a second round pick. Right. And it, I, I mentioned it to somebody earlier because we had the, the Minnesota trade. Um, I mentioned it to Loqual, um, co-host of Short Shift with Andrew. You know, we saw the news that Kalen Addison was traded yeah. to the Sharks for a fifth-round pick. And I, I know I understand where he's coming from going. That can't possibly be all that you get for a young right-handed defenseman who has upside. But yeah. what I when I looked at it, I said only 11 teams could have taken on that contract. So immediately you go from a 31 team shopping spree to 20 of them are knocked right off the bat just because they can't yeah. pay the guy because they're salary cap. And then from there, you have to pick through those 11 and go, okay, who's willing to take them on at the NHL level to see what he can do. Now you're down to what? Five teams maybe. Yeah. And a couple of them may sit there and go, yeah, we would take them on for a six or, or, you know, future considerations. And you, like you said, I got to shop around, see what I can get, you know, and now you have to play the market and yeah, I can see how he would go for a fifth. Yeah. That's uh, I, I mean, I was shocked by, by when I saw that, saw that deal, I thought, I thought they could have done better than that. But when you narrow down the market like that, there you go. That's what happens. Which is why, and and we'll get more into the Bruins side of things, but that's why when when I see everybody pushing or the all the everybody who is pushing for a yep, just get Bussy up here. You got Swayman and Bussy trade Olmark. I sit there and I go, why? What are you going to get in return for him that makes it worth breaking up, like a historically good one-two punch? It just doesn't make sense to do. There's no guarantee that Swayman Bussey will give you what Allmark Swayman gives you. Even no if there guarantee. was a guarantee, though. 
I'm saying even if you could guarantee <laughs> Swayman's production from last year out of Bussy this year, Allmark's production from Swayman last or you know from last year out of Swayman this year, even if you can get that guaranteed from Swayman Bussy, you won't get value. You might you get won't. 80 cents on the dollar instead of 40. Yeah. And and basically you're only getting it from one team, and that's Edmonton. Yeah, they're the only ones because you're what like the other ones that you could sit there and say need goaltending are ones that you would help that you don't want to help. Toronto's yeah. another one. Yeah, you know, tamper right, at, tamper right at the moment. Yeah, although yo, I I will say this: Johansson looks good. I just think they need more from up from the players in front of them, and I don't like the Zach Bogosian trade for them because I think that's going to weaken what's in front of them. Yeah. I think they're really banking on the return of Vasilevsky and you know, fingers crossed. You never want to see someone lose his talent level because of an injury. You always want to see that career play through. Yeah. Even when they're against, uh, when they're against you, they're your rival. Like that's just historically good goaltending that he can provide you year in and year out. But I think they're relying on it too much. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, you know, what are, what are they 12 games into the season? Um, when's Vasilevsky supposed to be back? Do you late know? De late December is the earliest time frame that I've heard and seen. Okay. So, so to get another two months out of this and I just don't see it, especially if you're going to trade a defenseman. Listen, Zach Bogosian's not Quinn Hughes. He's not, no. you know, he's not Kale McCarr, but. He's a solid defenseman. Mm -hmm. That that would be like the Bruins right now moving on from, you know, let's say, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk's play, playing a huge role yeah. right now without McAvoy in the lineup. You throw McAvoy back in the lineup, it's like trading Lindholm. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense to do because you're not getting enough return. But, I mean, Julian Brisois seems to to have his, his you know, ideology down there and – you know, it hasn't exactly you know, up, so we'll we'll see how it plays out. It's worked for him, so you know why why not ride it? Yeah, you know, um, you know it, it it's worked for him for now. You know, even if he takes a step back this year, although the the Steven Stamkos situation definitely, I think, is worth keeping an eye on. What do you think of that? I mean, he definitely was not happy to not have received a phone call in the off season to talk about contract extension. So what, what are your thoughts here? Do you think Steven Stamkos would actually leave the lightning? Um, good question. I don't know. I, I would lean towards no. Um, but it all depends on what they offer him. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I think Stamkos is a proud player. Um, he he knows what his value is. He knows what he's worth, and he doesn't want it. I don't think he he will stand for for Tampa lowballing him. But on the other hand, like remember the last time his contract came up, and everybody was talking about him going to Toronto. <laughs> but the advantage Tampa has is the no taxes in Florida, and. You know, I, I think Stamkos understands what 
eight, let's say eight million dollars is worth in Toronto and what eight million dollars is worth in Tampa. Yeah. Okay. It'll be interesting so, to see how it plays out though, because ta- Toronto, depending on what they do, they may have a few extra bucks to throw around if they don't re-sign or if they plan on moving one of the core four in the offseason or or however that shakes out now that Brad Treliving's in charge over there. We know Lucas yeah. wanted to move one of them, but I mean, who would you move of those four? Because Toronto's another one that they they've got to change something up. And it, I mean, I if think if I was Toronto, yep. if I was Toronto, I would try and move John Tavares. Now, Tavares, because of the contract, let's forget any clauses he has in the contract because. I don't believe no movement clauses, no trade clauses have that much of an effect. I just think it's an unmovable contract based on what he produces versus what he makes. So that basically eliminates me from moving him. So I would move Marner. I was going to say, Marner seems to be the most talented one. He's really the only one that constantly shows up in the playoffs. So I think that's why a lot of Uh, people... I don't know. Nylander's... uh, Nylander's not bad. Don't get me wrong. But at least in my opinion, I think between the two, Marner is the better one. But I agree. He would also fetch you more of a return... And I think you could fill what he offers the team a little easier than what the other three collectively, although obviously I think Tavares, Tavares is the one that you highlight in red and go, we wish we could get rid of him, but the contract, his production, I mean, they're playing him on the wing because he can't play down the middle anymore. Yeah. You know, it it just, but one of the things that I also looked at too, I mean, this year, this off season, they brought in Bertuzzi. They brought in Reeves. They brought in um, Domi. And, and I think we saw a lot of what the character of this organization is in that game against Boston. I know a lot of people are looking. Oh, yeah. at that. A, lo- a lot of people are looking at that footage of them on the bench and kind of going after uh, Martian af- after the hit on Lilligren, which in my opinion, and I- I'm very interested to hear your opinion on the hit, it's a trip. Mm-hmm. Nothing more. You missed the tripping call, two-minute minor. It's unfortunate that he got hurt, but at most you can only call a trip because that's what it was. There was no slew foot there. There was no malicious intent by Martian, at least in my opinion. It was just a hard hockey play. They got tangled up. Sure, you should have thrown it up for, for a trip, but that's really the extent of it. Yeah, I, I think if there was intent there that it was suspendable, Intent is hard to prove, but it did not. It it didn't look like there was intent there. And I believe if you go back and look at it in a little bit slower motion, Lilligren's the one who initiated the contact in the first yeah. place. So now, I the league did, the, the league did look at it. Right. The league did look at it. So, um, but they they look at every situation like that, and they didn't feel that it even deserved a phone call. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, though, I mean, it's it sucks to see Lilligren get hurt. That's that's obviously first and foremost, but clean hit. My point, though, is is Ryan Reeves after the game, basically sitting there the next day going, oh, he's lucky I wasn't on the ice. But he was. 
why why didn't you have to be on the ice or why did Marshan specifically have to be on the ice? Was it because you wanted to target him to take him out for an injury? Is that what you're referring to? Because in that case, I would sit there and say if he does do anything to any Bruins player the next time they play, it was premeditated. And that's suspendable right there. Yeah. Because clear with an intent to injure. What he should have done is he should have gone to, I don't care, pick your Bruin, Trent Frederick. He could have gone to Johnny Beecher even and been like, hey, your guy took out my guy and I can't get to him, so I'm going through you. You got to send that yeah. message. And, and they all just sit there and they're like, yeah, we, we scored two goals in a minute. That was our fight back. Now, in, 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 there I have seen some arguments saying that because Jeremy Jacobs is the chairman of the board, um, uh, the NHL board, that the league didn't suspend him because he has so much power. Well, to that I say, then, why why didn't Gary Bettman reduce Charlie McAvoy's suspension today if that was the case? Yeah, if he's got so much power, why isn't he using it for other things like that? Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it, that argument doesn't make – it just doesn't hold water. No, it doesn't. Because, you know, he's also not the only one who would have that kind of power. So now you would see the league get pulled in five or six different ways and it would be too obvious. Yeah. So I, I just, regardless of that, though, I, I sit there and I go, Ryan Reeves, this is what you were brought in for. You did it for the first two games of the season and you haven't done shit since. And, and for them right. to sit there and go, our fight back was to score two goals in a minute six. Great. You still lost the game. Yeah. You didn't make a statement. And he was on the ice. Right. Twice with Brad Marchand on the ice after the incident. So for him to say, he's lucky I wasn't on the ice. You were. You, ha you had two opportunities and you didn't do anything. Yeah, and I have the, the Ottawa-Toronto game on right now. They had a one nothing lead, and they've already given it up. And yeah. it just, this team, they don't have the grit that we all thought they were getting from these guys. Now, in the case of Ryan Reeves, he's just bad at hockey. You can't put him on the ice that long. No. Now, you, you talk about that scene on the bench. Chris, what do you make of Bertuzzi sitting there by himself, basically laughing at what Marshan is saying back to, to Ryan Reeves? I see it in two different perspectives. One, I noticed the gap between him and his teammates, and I go, he's, he's not endeared himself to this team in one way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And you can also see it when he's on the ice. They get him the puck because he's the open guy and he's there, not so much because, oh, I love playing with this guy. Right. Him, him laughing at Martian, I, I look at that more so based off of the comments he made before the game when he was asked straight up, oh, you you know, you've played with Martian. What was that like? And how was that? Now you're going against him. And he, and he just kind of he chuckled it off and he goes, listen, you know, I, I knew him this way. I played with him. Now I know the guy's full of shit. He's full of hot air. 
you know, and I think that's more or less what he was laughing at. He was laughing at Marsha and trying to be tough guy to this and that. And he's just kind of like, not, none of them are going to do anything. He knew that there was no balls on that Toronto bench to do anything. And he knew that Martian wasn't going to go out of his way to do anything. So he's just laughing at the whole thing going, these are two dogs barking at each other with a fence in the middle. They're not going to do anything. As soon as you move the yeah, fence, yeah. they look at each other and go, never mind. I wasn't serious. I wasn't serious. And for him, why is he going to step up for this team that's clearly outcast him? And why is he going to get involved in fights and, and start and stir things up and be gritty for them when I get the feeling just from that image, they don't want him around. Yeah, I, I, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I can't disagree with a word that, uh, that you said there. Just to me, it watching it live, I, I just found it very, very odd, very, very strange. Oh, for sure, for sure. I, I, I just, I know going <laughs> into the game, he was asked about Marshan specifically, and I just see that as one of those like. I'm laughing because this is exactly what I was talking about. He's full of shit. Yeah. You know, and then of course, knowing being in the locker room with Reeves and with Domi and with those guys, like, yeah, sure. They can play physically, but when it comes to, to the fight itself, Ryan Reeves just isn't doing it. And he knows that. So that's why he's laughing. He's they're They're both just full of hot air right now. This is funny. And I really feel like if, Mont if uh, Toronto can find a way to move Bertuzzi anytime this year, it. it will not only will they do it, but it will be addition by subtraction. Yep. The question is, is who's gonna take on Bertuzzi and at what cost? Because Toronto's gonna have to pin something to him to get rid of him and eat money because no one is gonna want to pay him that much money. No, nobody has the room. The teams that have the room sit there and go, that's your problem. We're trying to yeah. get better over here. Like, so you're what are they gonna do? Pin a first round pick <laughs> to kick out the door? Now you're now you're giving up an asset that you could have used in a deal. That's that's where I sit there and I go, all right, like you gotta get creative, you gotta look at a my problem, your problem kind of thing. And you know, Campbell did play well in Toronto. They need a goalie. Like, where are you at with Samsonov? You know, can you do some sort of pick Samsonov and, and Bertuzzi to try and get someone else out of Edmonton to make the money work and then get Campbell back? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not perfect. No one wants to do that kind of deal, but it's kind of a damn thing. It's all that's out And, yeah, it's all that's out there. It's the only thing you can do. Like, I don't know. I, I think when when you talk about Toronto and you talk about Edmonton, <coughs> yeah, throw Calgary in there. Calgary uh, too? Yeah. Bad spots. They're all in bad spots. At, at least Calgary, though, has some notable <laughs> and reasonably good pieces that they can trade away. Even if they have to eat some money to improve the package they get, it's only for one year for some of them. Elias Lindholm. I know you and I have talked about him before. I'm I'm not sure where he stands on signing there anymore. You know, for a while it looked like, it, at least, you know, in my opinion, I thought it was turning the corner. I thought he was going to look to stay. I heard Hannafin had talks re-going, and now yeah. who the hell knows what's going on with him. But 
I tell you, Hannafin and Lindholm are two really good targets at a trade deadline that I, I'd be willing to put a conditional pick on that player. You know, it, it, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, you know, let's say Tampa Bay, for instance, I, I know, I don't know what assets they have offhand, but you know, let's say they go out and want to try and get a Hannafin to build, you know, re rebolster the Bogosian hole, you know, now it's a conditional pick instead of a, a late rounder. If he resigns or if we go to this far in the playoffs, it's conditional to go higher or something like that. Yeah. Conditional picks on re-signing are no, are no longer allowed. So, um, oh, <clears throat> no, you can do conditional on, say, winning the Eastern Conference or winning the Cup, but you can't do condition on re-signing. Okay. I feel like I read that. I do feel like I've read that somewhere because it had to do with, um, I, like, kind of underhanded deals type of yeah. thing. You know, well, we'll put it in there, even though we know it's not going to happen or whatever. Right. It, it yeah, I, I think I remember hearing about that or reading about it, but it um, it, it it's certainly interesting though because there are it's not as easy to pick up the phone and call a team like San Jose or um, you know, Buffalo even who has a lot of cap space. Buffalo I find really interesting because they've turned a corner, they're starting to yeah. get a little bit better. And they found their scoring, honestly. That's what it comes down to. Yep. Uh, UPL's looked pretty good lately in goal. And I like him. I mean, I liked him from his OHL days. Um, the the team I'm surprised about, really, uh, I was kind of surprised how quick Montreal came out, but they've, you know, come back down to earth. But Ottawa, I... I I didn't think Ottawa would be sitting in the basement right now. I don't think a lot of people did. I had them towards the bottom, <laughs> but that was mostly because the people, the the teams that I saw above them, you know, I had Boston winning the division. I'm, I'm I swear to God, I'm going to go find the clip and I will post it as just a minute, minute and a half clip because uh, Andrew and I were talking about it and he goes, to be clear, he's not saying they're going to win the division. And I cut him right off and I said, you know what? Well, I remember That's that. Exactly I, re I remember it. Yeah, I remember you saying it. And and that's when I told that's when I told you guys it's all going to come down to coaching. Now, granted, um Jim Montgomery made some boneheaded decisions in the in the playoffs. We all know that. Oh yeah. Um, but he knows which buttons to push and when to push them. Uh, if you watch the clip today of him talking about why they benched, not benched, but they sat Mason Lorai for almost the entire third period, you know this is a coach that knows how to deal with his players. Right. You no, know? Hundred percent, and and we'll get to the the transactions that they made today of sending Lori what was Lori Watherspoon and Steen back down, right? Uh, yeah. Now Steen, you want to get to that later? Or you want to talk it now about it now? We'll we'll circle back. I want to finish up. Okay. A couple, then we'll go to a quick commercial break, real quick, and then we'll come back and talk mostly Bruins in the second half. Um, but the the thing with the Atlantic too is 
uh, I just had it up. What was it? Uh, oh, no, it wasn't the Atlantic. You were talking about the, the coaching decisions. I, I was talking to Johnny Lazarus about this on the last show. Mm -hmm. A couple of times I've seen uh, Carberry in, in uh, Washington where he's called a timeout and then challenged the play and lost the challenge. And I can't tell if he's that unsure about the challenge or if he's trying to use it as an extended almost like a double timeout. If I call a timeout now, I can get my guys a break. And then if I, you know, if I throw the challenge, then we can kind of have conversation and regroup. And, you know, you get five minutes off instead of two minutes off, but it just, it hasn't made any sense. And both, at least the two times that I've sat there and gone, what are you doing? I've looked at those replays and I'm like, you're going to lose. Why are you doing the challenge after the timeout? Yeah, the break is great and everything, but then you've got to kill a penalty. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make any it, sense. It, 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 it's, I don't know if it's lack of confidence in his uh, video coaches or their video coaches suck uh, or somebody just doesn't understand the rules, but they are boneheaded coaching decisions. I've seen um, that now and then later in the game both times it's been like a one goal game and i'm like boy washington could use a timeout right now but they yeah, don't have it yeah and i don't know like people say like coaching there i shouldn't say there there's a small segment of a fan base for any team not just the bruins that don't think doesn't think that coaching makes a difference, but coaching is huge. Like it, those are coaching decisions that cost you high, or, or they're coaching incorrect decisions that cost a team hockey games. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of like how people used to think of Bill Belichick around here for the Patriots. He wasn't going to make the bad decision he'd rather not challenge something and just say let's make up for it then yeah. lose the challenge and lose the timeout and set yourself further back it's it's the risk reward am i taking two steps back or am i risking one step back to maybe take two steps forward because if you overturn yeah. a goal that, that's more like two steps forward because not only are you taking it off the board but you're demoralizing the other team that thinks they just went yeah. ahead by you're you're gaining mo you gain momentum from that. It, it's I don't know some of these challenges. It makes you wonder. Well, like you know, do do these video coaches have a view that the that the broadcaster doesn't, or the broadcaster isn't showing us? Yeah, like it Jim Montgomery. No, it shouldn't. Now, granted, I I think. Montgomery lost one challenge this year. I think um, he's two for three. Yeah, so you go back to last year, and the Bruins are almost perfect when it comes to challenges. Like, they're bang on. If if they're not sure, they don't take the risk. Yeah, and, and the, it should be very simple for the league, too. You put a camera above the blue line. You put one at blue line level on both sides of the boards. And then you have your in-net camera. And 
you know, I, I do think there should be one maybe behind the net at bar level so that you can easily estimate the height of a stick for a high sticking yeah. goal. But that's about it. If you have those five goal, those five cameras on each side, then then a review should take two, three minutes. And that's, that. and that's including figuring out what time to put back on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, absolutely right. The, absolutely the last, right. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about real quick before we head off to a break, uh, in my opinion, one of the most fun teams to watch so far this year, this, this season has ironically turned out to be the Anaheim Ducks. Have you had a chance to watch them at all? Uh, twice. Just when they uh, play the Bruins. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know my schedule, so West Coast games are kind of hard for me. They're they're tough for uh, everybody, but that, uh, at least in my opinion, that ESPN Plus thing works out quite well if we're watching the next yeah. day. Now, but, you you got to throw Vancouver in the mix there with them too, because uh, I can't stand Vancouver ever since 2011. It's going to take a lot for me to want to compliment well, you know, them. They're they're in the playoff race. I'll give them that for a couple. Yeah, they're 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 two teams that I didn't expect it would be fun to watch. That are absolutely fun to watch. Now, uh, you could even put New Jersey in there. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, um, the Devils. Like whenever I think Devils, I think of Jacques Lemaire and 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 uh, not the left wing lock. That was Scotty Bowman. The the trap and. Um, and Brodeur, Brodeur, like they're absolutely like honestly, guys. If you haven't watched those three teams play and and watch some fun hockey, uh, then I suggest hitting the DVR and or staying up late and watching them. But the Ducks, probably more than the other two, have been a real surprise because nobody expected them to be where they are. Now, Except maybe I, you. No, I, I I was still expecting them to be lower, but I will say this: when they are a very different team, at least from what I can tell, when they have Leo Carlson in the lineup versus when they don't. Yeah, and I understand what they're trying to do as far as you know, growth and and not overusing him and all that stuff. But I mean, I, I think at a certain point, it's going to show. We're, we're going to have some statistical lines that show when he is in the lineup versus when he isn't. And it's going to get to a point where they're fluttering with a wild card spot. And you go, how can you keep him out of the lineup when it's that much better with him and they could make a wild card push now? Well, I, I think that line is clearly visible now, Chris, but the, the thing is, is, you know, Somebody might say 11, 12, 13 games is a small sample size. Um, and probably realistically it is. But but when you see a clear difference like that, um, you know, maybe they've got some analytics that that we aren't privy to. And I, I know there's a huge contingency of analytics fans out there. Trust me, NHL teams and the league have analytics that we as the public don't know about or somebody hasn't invented for the public yet or thought of it's out there uh they have statistics with the with the tracking in the jerseys and the tracking in the puck that aren't made available to the public or anybody who does analytics so um 
unless there's something there analytically that I'm not seeing, uh, I don't understand the decision to to not play him every game. Now, maybe if, and if it's something where they go, we'll revisit at the 25 game mark. We'll revisit at the you know 35 game mark, and then the 50, and so on and so forth. Then fine, like they don't have to tell us those details of their plan. Not that no. they have to tell us any of their plan at all, but you know, it, it, it would make it make a little bit more sense. I just, I see this as a team that at a certain point, they're going to have to pick a route. Do we want to try and compete this year a little earlier than, than we thought we could, <laughs> or do we want to stick to the plan of every other game for him, sell off some of the veteran pieces like uh, Adam Henrique or, you know, some, uh, who's the other one there? Um, Silverberg. Yeah, but Chris, let me throw this at you. Okay. I, I mean, you can do all that, but I know, I know my position. I want to hear your position. If you're the GM of a team and, and now mind you, whether you're at the NHL level or you're talking about your players at the AHL level, do you want them surrounded with veterans that have been there, done it, and do you want to bring them up in a winning atmosphere or do you want them to win one, lose one, win one, lose one? <laughs> I mean, I want them in with the veterans. I want them in there with people who know what it takes to get there. And I think that has to do with part of why they brought in a guy like Radko Gudis and why they brought right. in Alex Kalorn. So those those two guys, because they have longer-term deals, I'm more focused on Silverberg and Henrique as guys that, like, Adam Henrique would, would have been a great Bruin this year if they still had been able to keep a guy like Taylor Hall because they were very familiar with each other. They played in juniors together. There was There's a whole laundry list of reasons as to why some sort of deal with the Ducks and the Bruins could have made sense. Now, Bruins obviously went a different route, but yeah. Adam Henrique is still a, a player that can help a playoff team. Silverberg, okay, same thing. but you you take a look at Henrique's path to the NHL. Um, he had to work to get there. Okay, Adam Henrique was not a surefire NHLer, even when you know he played with Taylor Hall with the Windsor Spitfires. He just wasn't. I know. I watched him for years. <coughs> so. Do you want that type of player to teach your younger players who could or could not turn out to be NHL players and say, this is what you've got to do to make it. Okay. Yeah. They won't be your, they won't be your stars that are putting up 70, 80, 90 points a season. They'll be your 30 to 40 point guys who have to work twice as hard as the star players to to get those points for you. So my question, I know if I had a team full of rookies, well, I wouldn't say a team full that had three, four, five rookies on the team. Adam Henrique is the type of player that I want there to show them how to succeed. I don't disagree with that. I just sit there and I go at what point one may he want to leave <laughs> because he's struggled right. along with team success. And right. once you get to that point, 
you, do you sit there and go, listen, your contract's up at the end of the year. Can you bear with us? We'll let you walk in free agency for all those reasons that you just said, we want you to stick around. Or do you sit there and go, yeah, we'll do right by you. We'll, we'll trade you off to, you know, teams X, Y, or Z. We'll see what we can get for you. And I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough because you're not going to be able to trade for very many of those kinds of guys, but those are exactly the guys that you want to have come in. Right. There's a loaded free agency class coming up that has a lot of guys with that kind of character. And so you can always get more of those guys in the locker room next year to build on Alex Kalorn, Radko Gudis, and what you have, but also have a chance to see what else you have in some of your younger players or even bring in another younger player. Another Right. I think at that point, I mean, if I was GM, I would approach Henrik or I would approach Silverberg and I'd say, look, this is what our plan is. We'd like you to stay for the season, help us bring up the kids. And, you know, at the end of the season, you've got your choice of 31 other teams to go to. Or if you want to get traded, I will do my best to accommodate you, but I'm not going to give you away. And, Make make it ultimately just like when Harry Sinden approached Ray Bork about trading him. Make it the player's decision. Now I'm not comparing Henrik or Silverberg to to Raymond Bork. No, but you know when when a, a player is given the organization, especially in Silverberg's case, as as much as he has, you show respect to the player and and make it their decision. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You're not comparing them as players. You're comparing their situations with the organization yeah. as a person. And and yeah, you, you, I think I agree with you on that. I think that's totally the right way to handle it. I just think it'll be interesting from an outsider's perspective to see what routes those go and to see what happens with specifically those two guys as this growth in Anaheim continues because they are already fun to watch and who knows? Maybe they both sit there and go, screw it. I've seen it out this far. These guys are great. Let's keep this thing rolling. Where's my extension? Yeah. Now, um, you know, something that we talked about all summer long, Chris, is, is what about John Gibson? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's playing well I, enough. That they could move him now. That was the big thing. It was one of the big things from last year. And I think even the year before, how much was his performance based on the team in front of him and how much does yeah. he have left in the tank? He's showing he's got a good amount left in the tank still. What about Edmonton Anaheim? If you're if you're Anaheim, do you want to help Edmonton that well? Because Gibson still got three years on that contract. Do you do you really want to have yeah, to go but, for the next three years? If, if you're Anaheim, you you've got to ask yourself where do where do we see ourselves in three years? Yeah, o over those next three years, they're going to be building years, so it, it doesn't hurt. But Edmonton can't take on the money, so now you have to consider that you're eating half of that money, or you're taking on a contract that Edmonton doesn't want. Which, I mean, if if you're looking at Edmonton's I line. Who's the one guy that stands out to you that goes, that's a really bad contract other than yeah, Cam? You, you've, you've just upped the price by either um, 
holding back money or taking a, ba a, a contract back. Like if you're Edmonton, do you, do you consider um, convincing Anaheim to, to retain or to take Jack Campbell back and throw in a first and a second round pick? Like that's how desperate Edmonton is. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. They they don't have a third or fourth rounder this year. They have their first and second. They don't have their second next year. Uh, and I'm I'm looking over the contracts money wise. Obviously, you're not moving McDavid. You're not moving Drysital. I can't imagine they would look to move. Well, I mean, we can eliminate Hyman, Kane, and Nugent Hopkins because they have full no movement clauses, and I yeah. don't see them waving them to go to to Anaheim. So at that point, uh, and you're not moving Darnell Nurse with his no trade clause. You just brought in Ekholm last season, so you're not moving him. So you know Bouchard, Cody CC, Brett Kulak, uh, you know Warren Fogle, Ryan McLeod, Matthias Janmark. Like you're not exactly dealing high end pieces off the the NHL roster. So yeah, you're you're realistically looking at you know. Um, uh, Jack Campbell with his 3.8 or no, he's 3.85 now because he's in the minors, right? Five, so he's, he's five, isn't he? He's five total when he's at yeah. the NHL yeah. level. Uh, so five there. And uh, Gibson is I'm pulling up Anaheim right now. I want to say he's six and some change. I, I don't know off the top of my head right now, they have. $95,000 in cap space at the deadline per cap friendly for Edmonton. That's after the move of bringing up Calvin Picard because it looks like they have him on the roster. Uh, Anaheim has the cap space to do it. Uh, Gibson is 6.4. So there's a, a $1.4 million difference. So if we go back to Edmonton, 1.4, you could do Ryan McLeod, who's 24-year-old, uh, two years away from RFA as a center. He's 2.1. That fills the gap. If you do uh, I would and, take uh, I would take Ryan McLeod. Okay. So McLeod, Campbell, and it would be – I think the starting price would have to be the first in 2025 and a second in 2026. If you're Edmonton, that's what I'm willing to give up. I don't want to give up my first and second rounder in 24 and have a first pick in the fifth round. But, I mean, I guess you could say, hey, we'll yeah. do the – I mean, but the first it, rounder is your conditional second rounder. It becomes now the 2025 first if we win the Stanley Cup. But you're – okay. I'm I'm Anaheim. You're Edmonton. I said, okay. If you're not giving me your first and second in 2024, then throw away the season. Yeah. Or, or go find a deal someplace else. No, I know that's that's the debate that Edmonton has. Yeah. At, at what point do you sit there and go, all right? Well, we already don't have. A, I mean, I guess you could sit there and say, okay, well, if we do this year's first and second, can you throw in a third rounder for this year as well? I mean, Anaheim has. Uh, three of them. They have their own, the Pittsburgh and the Sharks one. So sure I, I do it. There's some wiggle room in there, you know. 
And, and again, conditions can get put on the picks as to how far they go. I mean, we've seen if we win this round, you get this pick. If you win this round, you get this pick. Like you could go that deep if you wanted to. Sure you could. You know, and, and I almost would challenge it. Ken Holland, he's their GM, right? Yep. I would challenge him to get that creative because to your point, they're that desperate. You have to be able to look at it at the end of the day and go, we tried something. And honestly, where are you going to get a better goalie than John Gibson for that price? Well, we already went over this. It's going to be Jordan Bennington. Right. Like, I, I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, no one else that I, I, can, I can't pull this. I mean, it was you had a shot at talking about Connor Hellebuck, but then he signs his extension and that's gone. Right. Like, now, there's no other goaltender that I can see hitting the market in the next, let's say, six months that can help them win a cup. No, I, I, you know, and it's going to cost for them, for them to get it. Like, you know, say for one, let me, let me rephrase that Sept for maybe one, give it a few months. You might be able to pry Darcy Kemper out of Washington. Yeah. But can you afford to, you, you, if, if you're Edmonton, you can't afford to wait a few months because by then you're probably out of it. That's what I mean. Where else do you look? <laughs> uh, I mean, Buffalo, maybe you can convince them to give up Eric Comrie, but that's not much of an upgrade. I would say that's not an upgrade at all. You know, uh, I'm just, I'm running through the standings real quick just to see who else is in, in the basement. I mean, they just extended Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh. I don't see them giving him up anytime soon. Um, maybe Carter Hart out of Philly. Because they just brought in Cal Pedersen. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe you can get Cal Pedersen, but neither one of them are astronomically guaranteed to be an upgrade over what you have. It's not hard to right. get better than what you have, but what are they going to offer you to win a cup? Is would John, in your opinion, forget John Gibson of last year. John Gibson right now, this year, would he be the difference maker in Edmonton? Or is he capable of being the difference maker in Edmonton? He would make a difference in the sense that they would have more wins than they do right now. I see a bigger issue for them on defense. Yes, their goaltending has sucked and it has not saved them, but they are making defensive lapses night in and night out. I know it's a new defensive system, but they have to have some semblance of a defensive system that works in front of any goaltender before you can sit there and say it's only the goaltending. Um, yeah, but it, it does take time to learn a new system. If, 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 if Gibson can were use, starter, well, let me if use their starter uh, coming into the year. I think they have maybe three three more wins than they have right now. Okay, I'm going to use a Bruins prospect as an example. It's not NHL hockey, but it's hockey, and they're play. He's playing against peers, and I'm going to say read Dick what the Swift Current Broncos in the WHL. 
okay? Uh, you know, fans know he was injured, uh, missed development camp with Boston, missed the rookie camp, missed the start of the WHL season. And it's a good team. Uh, Swift Current's a good team. They can score some goals. And they were 0-5, or sorry, 2-5 and 1 with Reed Dick uh, out of the lineup. He comes in, uh, and they're now 7-2 and 0 with him in the lineup. I think goalies can make a bigger impact than sometimes we give them credit for. And we agree the problem in Edmonton is goaltending. I think defense is, is their second biggest problem, but that'll come once they they play uh, the system a, li- a little longer. And I think John Gibson can have that kind of impact in Edmonton. I think he could as well. Like I said, I, I would <laughs> say they have at least three more wins than they have right now because I think they would have more confidence in the defensive system right? if the goalie could make a stop every once in a while. You're talking right. about an 834% save percentage, which means two, 20 out of every 100 pucks are getting to the back of the net, right? regardless of what the defense is doing. Yes, you need to sure that up by almost half. Gibson would do that. It would help the defense, yes. I do think they still would have come out struggling a little bit, but Gibson, it, it I, I look at it in terms of can this goaltender give them a chance to win the cup? Because you can't win the cup in this first 10-12 game stretch, but right. we're thinking that Edmonton sure as hell put themselves behind the eight ball far enough that they can lose the cup. Right. So, like, I mean, you could even look in their own division. I think Mackenzie Blackwood could be a piece for them that would help help them. If they got this Mackenzie Blackwood in Edmonton, Edmonton could be first in the division right now. To your point, because he's making the stops. Yeah. He's just getting pelted 50 times a game. Right. And I, I, I think as a team, as a goaltender, uh, if you're stopping the pucks, you should be stopping. You shouldn't be below a 900 save percentage. Right. And, and so I would say um, Blackwood, I would say Gibson. Um, I'm not sure about the guys in Seattle, but Markstrom, those are the three guys within the division that could help Edmonton win a cup from within their division. If they could somehow get one of them, I just don't see that happening. I don't see that as a possibility. I don't. Now you might have a shot at getting one of the guys out of Chicago because they want to still be bad for one more year. Um, what what's his name? Uh, not Svedberg, but who's the uh, Soderblom? He's looked pretty good, but he's young. So yeah, he's, he's going to cost you because there's RFA years, I believe, left in his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have who was the other guy they signed? Um, but if you're Chicago, do you want to trade them? I mean. Probably not because team people are enjoying watching you, but they're enjoying watching you for Connor Bedard. So if you can get that, that's that's the question. What's Chicago's plan? I wouldn't want to give up Soderblom. He looks good. He looks like he could be part of their future. 
And so, he's young. And and he's 23, I think. I'm, I'm yeah, pulling up that, right now. That's young for a goaltender. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Peter Morozik, that's the other one. He's on a one-year $3.8 million deal. It's affordable for Edmonton at a reasonable dollar amount. The question is, would he be on, would they be on his modified no trade clause? That's taking clauses out of it. Could Peter Morozik help Edmonton win a Stanley Cup? I don't think so. I think he gets no. him a hell of a lot closer, and he's certainly more reliable than Jack Campbell. But of the two, I would then say it's still up to Stuart Skinner. And I yeah. don't see that. Um, I don't see Nashville giving up on Tristan Jari, even though they have Askarov in the system. I think they want those guys to overlap. I mean, we, I, you would like them to overlap. It's 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 like Ulmer and Swayman. You want them to overlap because you want one to bring the other one along. Right. Well, and here's the other thing. They are they are six points out of first first place, Nashville. Even though they're seventh place, they're only six points out of first. They're five points out of dead last. So like they still have to figure out what the hell they what are. What are we? Yeah. So you're not going to move Jari anytime soon. That's a deadline deal. Exactly. And that's the same conversation you're having with St. with St. Louis about Bennington. They may be more apt to moving on because they have anchors at defense that they know they can't move. And at least if they deal off Bennington, someone's likely to want to move their no trade clause. Someone's going to look for a restart. You might be able to move a defenseman out of it as well. Free yep. up cap space going into next year. So that, that we would be looking to set off a domino effect. Arizona's in the running right now. I don't see them moving on from from Vemelka anytime soon. Not and they anytime. shouldn't. If they didn't deal him last year, last year was the de- the the time to move him. Yeah. If they were going to, um, no one else in the central. Then you got Jari Hart and uh, Pedersen in Philly. Corpus, not Corpusalo, uh, Merzlikens and uh, uh, Darisol or something like that. What whatever his name is. In yeah, Canada. but. But they're not looking to move a goaltender anytime no. soon. Maybe Kemper. That's why I say maybe Darcy Kemper out of Washington. I just, I don't, I, I, I don't know that he moves the needle for Edmonton. I mean, he has a cup. That would be the argument. He has a cup from Colorado, but I, I just, I don't see. They don't. What's their purpose in doing it? They still need to try to win hockey games, even though they're all about the Gretzky, the the Gretzky goal record for Ovechkin. Yeah. But, and then that brings us down to one other team or one other division, the Atlantic and, and from the bottom up, Ottawa, Montreal, Buffalo, Florida. I mean, they're really not going to try to go for Bobrovsky. The money does, doesn't make any yeah, sense. They, they, they could never make the money work. Never. Ottawa, they, they'd, have, they'd have to trade McDavid to make that money work. Yeah. No kidding. But Ottawa. They just signed Corpusalo. They're not going to deal him one year into a four-year contract. And Forsberg's looked really good for them when he's been healthy. You know, last year he had the double ACL injury. He's working he, his way back, but he still looks really good, and he's still young. Yeah, but he's an injury risk. But would you move him? Like, is he going to be the guy that helps Edmonton? I don't see no, it. I think he helps. No, I, don't, I don't see it. He improves their goaltending. That's not a question. It's can he push them over the edge? No. 
now you're looking at Florida, Toronto, Detroit, Tampa, and Boston. I just, you know, let, let's get to Boston in a minute here. Let's go to a quick commercial. Then we'll come back and we will deep dive into Boston as to why they're not getting rid of their goaltenders anytime soon. And some of the other prospects, we have a couple of questions as well from, uh, from folks on Twitter. What do you say we hit them on the break on the back end? Sounds good. Awesome. We will be right back after these messages from our friends over at Raycon and DraftKings. It may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare, especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off because their early Black Friday sale is going on now. You haven't heard us talk about Raycon just yet, but time we talk about them now. Uh, Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds, known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life and perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. And this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon PowerTech. Their five-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, micro USB, and Type-C devices eight times faster with a 100-watt power delivery. Their faucet filter ultra-filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. It's a must-have for ensuring the water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth is, you know, actually clean. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price that other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have rock, racked up tens and thousands, tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit just a bit early, Raycon is offering 20% off everything on their site with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowd and save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buy Raycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this November. Pats are playing again on Sunday. I'm not sure I'm going to take them in that game, but I wouldn't. <laughs> get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, LA, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. 
See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Puck Off. Thanks to our folks over at DraftKings and Raycon for those kind words. Definitely be sure to check them out. Again, it's Chris Nozick here with Puck Off uh, with Dominic Tiano. And this second half of the show, I do want to get to a couple of the questions first that we received um, just in terms of kind of some of the operations behind the the paperwork stuff. And then we'll dive into some of the news from today, specifically Bruins related and, and a little bit more big picture from their organization and some of those questions. One of the questions that we got, Dom, I think you're you're the perfect guy to answer this one. Someone was asking about no trade clauses, no movement clauses. When did those have to be submitted? Uh, I'm going to actually extend the question because obviously we all know central registry is a thing. We all know trade clauses are an issue because of the Ottawa senators and that punishment that they got from the Dadanov deal that fell through with Vegas and, and Anaheim and all that stuff. So can you just give our listeners a little background on no trade, no movement clauses, how they work, how they get submitted and, and some of that stuff? Sure. Um, everyone is different. So some of them are actually, let's say a, a player has uh, a 16 team, no trade list. Okay. Uh, some of them have it written into the contract. Um, some of them have it written into the contract with an option to change it in year one or year two, or at some point. Some of them have it written in the contract that they have to supply the list by July 1st. Sorry, it's prior to free agency. I think it's June 30th, uh, summer, September 15th, uh, summer, January 1st. So there is no specific date. It depends on how the contract is written. So um, I know everybody wants to know about Linus Allmark. I honestly do not know what what his contract specifies. Uh, if you go back to Tuka Rask, in his final year, I actually broke the news that the final year of his contract did not have a no movement clause. Cap Friendly got a hold of it. They checked and confirmed that that was true, but we don't have access to every single contract to be able to say this is when Linus Allmark has to supply his no trade list. Right. And, and so to your point, I pulled up Linus's uh, on cap friendly um, the first. So he signed a four year deal, AAV five mil. The first two seasons were a no movement clause, which meant he could not be moved to anybody without his permission. Uh, that includes the AHL. I was going to say, I believe the no movement clause also includes he cannot be waived either. Right. So now this year, 2023-24, he has a modified no trade clause as he does in 24-25. Now per cap friendly, the 23-24, no it's a 16-team no trade list, which my interpretation, and, and feel free to tell me I'm flat out 100% wrong, is – he would, they would have agreed upon date, which is probably the day before the league year starts. Right. So June 30th or whatever that day is, 
And then he would say, these are the 16 teams that you cannot trade me to next year. Right. And that holds or starting the next starting the next day. Or it, it, it could be that that uh, it's written in his contract that um, he has to supply a list by, say, September 15th or uh, even at the request of of the general manager. If you go back to when Don Sweeney took over as GM in 2015, that offseason, he went to every Bruin. Again, I broke this news, and it was later confirmed by Cap Friendly. He went to every Bruin. Include, that included Zdeno Chara, who had a no-movement or no-trade clause, asking yeah. if they would waive or to supply the list of teams they'd be willing to accept the trade to. And, and and obviously for someone like that in that situation, that that can be uh, expressed to, to those players in a multitude of manners. I, I feel like Cam Neely or Don Sweeney in this case, rather, he would approach them as saying, look, I'm just taking over this chair. I want to know where your mind is at with this no movement clause. And, you know, if an opportunity were to come up with any other team out there, one, would you be interested? Would you consider waiving it? Would you want to go? Where's your mind at with this? Help me understand. And if someone like Zdeno Chara came in and said, I am a Boston Bruin, I'm not going anywhere. He would go. Okay. No one, no, I'm not calling anybody. And if they call me asking about you, I'm going to tell, tell them it's a flat out. No. And, you know, it depends on how you want to treat your players. There are ways to make a player waive a no-trade clause. Oh, absolutely. A no-trade no clause is not there to prevent a trade from happening. It's there. Uh, we'll use Taylor Hall as an example. It's there to give the player some control. Taylor Hall had a no-trade clause. Uh, he was approached by the Sabres. Uh, uh about a trade and he said yes i will accept a trade to the boston bruins that's it make it work if you want to trade me you have to make it work with them in <laughs> all my years of covering hockey i think there's only ever been one player that i can recall off the top of my head who flat out refused refused to waive his no movement clause and that was Matt Sundin. Interesting. And that was to the Vancouver Canucks. Okay. There are other players that have said, uh, you know, I'll accept a, a trade to, say, these three teams if you can make it work, and then we're not able to make it work. Right. Well, Matt, I, you saw that Matt, this summer with the St. Louis Blues and Tory Krug. They were trying to yeah. send him to Philly. And, and there are conflicting reports based on who you want to believe and what you want to read. But my interpretation is they had a deal in place with Philly. They approached him and said, hey, would you, would you please waive your no trade clause so we can move you to Philly? And he went, I don't want to go to Philly. No, see, but they did it backwards. They, you right. need to, like I said, it depends on how you want to treat the player. You work with the player and, and, Find out beforehand, and then when the player says, this is where I'll go, you try and work something out. And if you can't, you can't. 
Yeah, and by the but way, the, the leanest no trade list goes down by one team next year. One team. <laughs> yeah, I I think that had something to do with expansion for whatever reason, but oh, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense because you have to protect your no movement clause players in an expansion draft. Yeah. Or they have to waive it. So that would make a lot of sense, actually, because I know they're probably projecting more expansion in the next decade, we'll say. Um, but no, I, I it, it is one of those things where it's wonky because every single one is different, like you said. And um, we just we're not privy to some of that information. And I mean, my understanding is Central Registry is like Fort Knox. Nothing. Yeah. No, I, uh, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I, I can't I've say. Back, I've heard some back and forth about how the, the, the lists should be made public. They should be submitted this, you know, just to avoid the Dadanoff situation. But well, Dadanoff was, was weird because it was written as part of his contract. The, the teams were supplied. It's just. Ottawa never forwarded forwarded to um, where did they trade him to Vegas to Vegas. It, it was just such a mixed up deal. They had the list. They just never forwarded it, which is I, yeah, that, that to me is, you know, I, I think Ann Lauer said it best where it's got to cost you at least your job. Yeah. Like, that's what we pay you for. <laughs> Yeah, don't screw it up. It was, I, I mean, I feel bad for ownership there now taking over and having to deal with this. But you know what? He's a great owner. Owned the Hamilton Bulldogs of the OHL. Uh, won championships with them. Good teams. Knows how to bring in the right people. Um, I know. don't. I don't disagree with the punishment in the sense of you have to do something. You can't, you have to. you can't not do anything. Um, I, I, if anything, if I were the league, I might've given them an extra two years on which draft to pick it from and say, listen, because you weren't the owner, instead of giving you a pick this year that you lose, we'll let you pick over the next four years, the next five years. Three isn't that bad either. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, quibble over two more years, but the fact that they have a say in which draft, I think should tell you that the league was trying not to entirely burn a new owner. Right. And, you know, I'd hate to give up a first rounder in 2024. Um, especially especially they're, they're going to be picking. Yeah. And, I hate to give up one in 2025 even more. So um, I don't know. I, but I, I think he made some good points on on why did it take the the league 15 months to decide? Why didn't they decide before um, I took over ownership? Like, he's right. He could have saved him a couple of bucks. Yeah. I, in, I, in, in I, about. I, I think – the league was trying to make it go away and they just kept getting follow-up emails from the ducks and from Vegas. What, what's going on with this? What's going on? Finally, they went, oh, crap, we actually have to do something about it. So they did. Yeah. 
but I think they were trying to hopefully make it go away and, and then it never did. So, um, but that was a great question from, um, I don't even remember who sent it in. Um, I'll, I'll let them know via Twitter that, that it's on here. Um, and then another person asked about Bruins prospects. We were talking a little bit before we hit record, which Bruins prospect they put the caveat of with the exception of Matt Poitra, who has come out with the best start to their season. Now we were talking about it and you very specifically wanted to leave Poitra on the list. I yeah. want you to explain why. And I will say, give us two players because I think Poitra makes that list probably as number one. So who would no. be? Number no, because to me, it's to me, who has surprised me the most? And I, I wouldn't say Matthew Potra was, is even top three because... You've been pounding the door on Matt Potra for a year and a half now. Yeah, and I told you early in the offseason, I said, when we were talking about what players could make the Bruins, uh, I, I've been saying it all summer long, don't sleep on Matthew Potra. And Andrew, I'm not surprised by it watched him when we went to dev cam because yeah. we saw exactly what we're seeing compete never gives up on a puck even when he gets beat he gets right back into it he has a, a good scoring touch a good finish like he's he's good at everything i i wouldn't say he excels at any one thing other than he just doesn't give up no then and the iq the the hockey smart hockey IQ, yes is elite level and it has been for as long as I've been watching. Um, so I'm not going to take Patra out of the equation, but he hasn't surprised me. I will give you two names. Uh, one is at the AHL level. One is playing in Sweden that have really surprised me. Uh, John Farinacci for one. Uh, I knew he was a good player. I'd watched some of them in the in the NCAA. I I didn't think he would be this good this quick uh, in his first year of pro hockey. Um, really, really surprised uh, by how he's doing in Providence, and I think he's right beside right behind uh, Fabian Lysel for the for the Bruins scoring lead. So. Uh, Big, a big surprise. I'm not surprised about Mason Lorai. Um, uh, Georgi Merkulov, not surprised. Fabian Lysel's really picked it up the last three, four, maybe five games. Not surprised, uh, even though some people are calling him a bust. Um, <laughs> the other player that has really surprised me and probably shouldn't because I've been talking about him since the Bruins acquired him from uh, the Vancouver Canucks is Jonathan Mirenberg. Uh, playing, I know you tweeted about him the, a couple times in the last few yeah. days. He's playing professional hockey in the Swedish Hockey League. Um, uh, he, he's a 20 year old playing against men, and the poise, the the control, the confidence that he's gained in but I think he's played 15, 16 games this season. Uh, the, the, how quick he's progressing. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, why the Canucks gave up on him. 
in the trade for Jack Stadnika. It might have something to do with they didn't think they could get him to come to North America. Well, yeah, here's the catch. Now, he plays for uh, Linkelping HC in the Swedish uh, Hockey League. He plays with his older brother. His older brother is a goaltender. Just a couple weeks ago, they signed two-year contract extensions uh, to play in the Swedish Hockey League. But here's the catch. The NHL and the CHL signed a new transfer agreement uh, in April of 2022. So any player drafted from Sweden is not eligible to play in the American Hockey League, (coughs) excuse me, uh, until they turn 24 years of age, unless they are a first-round pick. (coughs) So he can't come to North America for another four years. Wow. That might – okay, so that might explain why they were willing to give him up if they knew some of the negotiation that was going on with that. So, um, the Bruins have two options with him. Sign him. and First of all, you can't blame the kid for uh, signing an extension in Sweden. He has to earn a living, right? right? Okay. So, the Bruins can sign him and then loan him back, and they would still have his control. <coughs> or they could buy out his contract get their approval in Sweden, and then have them come over and play in the AHL. So but they can't, they can't do it without their approval. So as it stands right now, does he, does he have an ELC with Boston? No. No. Okay. But so, I will say well, this, and I'll go on record. Right to sign him would be my first question. What They have until... They have four until the the fourth June first after he was drafted, so he was drafted as an eighteen year old. So they have two more years to sign okay. him. All right, I didn't mean to cut you off. What <laughs> I'm saying though, but I will I will say this, and I will go on record as saying it right here, right now, that he is the top right handed. Uh, defenseman in terms of Bruins prospects. That's how much that's how much the kids impress me. Wow. Okay. Um so this is this someone that you would say they will keep a very close eye on to see if they can get him over here or is he someone you think because they have two more years before they even have to worry about his control would they sign him to an ELC in two years and then, like you said, loan him back for those yeah. other two years? Yeah. Now, if they I, do that, what is what happens to his – his? let's say – would it be a three-year ELC at that point? No, it would be a – well, it depends on when they sign him, okay? So as a 22-year-old, it would be a two-year ELC. So he would lose a year uh, playing in Sweden – Okay, so then it would be one year because it doesn't slide. Right. And it also counts against the 50 contract limit if right. they're loaning it back to a European European team. I'm okay. not as worried about the 50 contract limit just yet. No. Because between now and then, you have room to open up a contract. Right. 
uh, for him. It, it's 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 identical. It's almost identical to the NHL CHL agreement. Uh, only the CHL agreement is twenty years of age. The SHL agreement is twenty four years of age. I, I wonder um, why they did that extra four year difference. I mean, I, it, I'm not it's sure. not it. It's not only that, Chris. The money, the money it now costs to get them out there. The price went up 45%. Oh, wow. So if it was half a million dollars, tack on another 45% on top of that. Yeah, no, that's that's even more. And, uh, I mean, it, it certainly is a dynamic that a lot of us as fans sit there and try to way oversimplify. And, and that's where you, when you see a guy like, Don Sweeney. He gets picked on a lot. Fire, mm-hmm. Sweeney, fire Sweeney. But these are some of the guys. And last year, uh, I believe it was, uh, was it Dan Lockmelis that we were talking about towards the end of the year? Yeah. We weren't sure what was going to happen with him. Now, I haven't heard if he's signed with any other NHL club. I'm sure he probably has not, even at a lower level. It, but No, I've, you mean you mean Matthias Mantikibi, don't you? Mantikibi, that's the one. Yeah. Lock Mellis is still under Bruins control, right? Yeah, he's playing in the Kivy then. Yeah, he Lock Mellis is playing for UMass, so that's right. That's right. It was yeah. it was meant to Kivy. Um, but we were wondering, you know, we were we 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 had a countdown clock, you know, this is when it's gonna be due up. He's mm-hmm. got two more days, one more day, and all of a sudden just poof, his contract is over. Have a nice day. Yeah, I, and I mean I don't know why they didn't sign him. I would have. I know McKean's called him one of the top five drafted prospects playing in Europe last year. I know he's a notorious slow starter, but he started this season. He's at a point a game. Is he someone that you can see the Bruins circling back to? No, no. And I'll tell you why. Because their depth at, at center. Uh, you, you've got Coyle, you've got Zaka, you've got Patra, you've got Beecher now who's proven he can play in the NHL. Uh, you go below him, you've got, um, Farinacci, uh, we were talking about him. Farinacci, you got Merkulov and, and, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. Like Chris Pelosi is having a great year with, uh, with Sioux Falls in, in the USHL. Um, one guy I should mention when it comes to prospects too, and I mean I've been following this guy for two years, three years, ever yeah. since he, he was back in Sweden, is Oscar Yelvik, who's playing at Boston College. Um, everybody said I overhyped him because of the season he had last year. It was his first in North America. I go, come on, man. Don't expect him to come from Europe to North America and light it up uh, just to, right off the bat like that. Like we're not talking Wayne Gretzky or Bob Yor here, you know? <laughs> so like he's played eight games uh, for Boston College uh, so far this year, has five goals, three assists, point a game player, exactly where I pegged him to be. That's pretty, pretty solid right there. Yeah. Um, Riley Duran, there, there's a player. I mean, Bruins fans are going to fall in love with um, j- just the way he plays. He's, he's getting top line um, 
top line duties at Providence College uh, started out red hot. And, uh, you know, every time I talk about Riley, I say, you know, it's not about the points with him. Uh, it's not about the production. They're a bonus. It's just his overall game and the way he plays the game um, is is what Bruin fans are going to be drawn to because he's gone pointless in his last five. Right. And um, speaking of someone else who I don't think will light up the um... – the the stat sheet. I'm trying to check, and I can't remember. I think he plays for yeah. For he's part of the BU team. Uh, he was I want to say a seventh round pick. Ty Gallagher. He stood out yeah. to me Andrew, when we were at development camp. Not in the sense of oh he's going to be you know Bobby Orr, Zdeno Chara, Kale McCarr, someone like that. But I mean, this is someone who I would say might fit into your middle pair, maybe your bottom pair, but will be a nice, solid, scrappy, physical defender who just irritates the fuck out of the opposition yeah and i don't know what's going on at at bu um and i've probably seen four maybe five of his games this year and um he's dressing as a seventh defenseman they play they play with seven defensemen i don't know why you know in his first year he was getting power play time and penalty K, K or PK time and um, uh, some good quality five on five minutes, but now he's a seventh team. Now he's lit it up the last couple of games. Uh, I, I think he's got assists in back-to-back games, still the seventh defenseman, but I, I just love his skating. Well, I mean, you said it, everything – Everything you said and, and add the skating game on top of it. Yeah, I mean, again, we're we're not sitting here saying he's going to be a top pairing guy. I want to be clear no. about that. It just th- he's the type of guy that you want to have in your system. And honestly, even if he doesn't make it to the NHL Bruins level, every step he's in your organization along the way, he's going to make that step more difficult for other right. people. He's going right. to make someone else work harder. So they get the position over him. And that's okay too. It it, it just, you know, he was there. We, we were talking about um what's Konstadinsky. I think I said it right this time. Yeah. Christian you know, Konstadinsky. When when they drafted him, obviously a much more recent draft pick, but you know, he, Andrew and I we, we've talked about it on previous shows. He's working with Adam McQuaid, learning how to stop. We could, we could hear him in the corner like this right after stopping. But, you know, as we were talking about before we, we started recording, what I like about that is he's trying to work with the coach to say, make me get better. Help me get better. Yep. Do what I need to do. You tell me what I need to do and make sure I'm getting the feedback that I need so I can do the things you need me to do. That's what you want to see. That A player that's coachable can beat out a player that's not coachable any day of the week. Every day of the week. Every day of the week. It, just, it goes so far to know. And as much as you know, Andrew and I kind of giggle about him sitting there going like this, yes, that's exactly what I want to hear from him. I'd rather hear him say and ask that question than sit there and go, man, he wants me to fucking do it again? Like, what yeah. am I doing wrong? Like, you know, frustration. No, he's trying to get better. I love it. And he's a big boy. 
Oh, so he is, and he's so nasty now. Him, so stopping for him is 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 going to be tough. Yeah, he's he's like an aircraft carrier. It takes time for it takes time to stop. Now, everything you've said, Chris, was bang on, and I've watched. I bet you ninety five percent of his games today, and and if I can talk about. Casper, the friendly ghost, Nason, his teammate. I call him the friendly ghost for, for a reason. In a minute, I just want to say, I've watched ninety five percent of Kostinski's games this season, and a lot of what what you and Andrew talked about at development camp, and and Adam McQuaid and and some of the other coaches, the skills and development coaches working with them, you can see. There's enough because I watched him a, a year ago. You can see that he's put in the work and he's putting in the effort to improve in those areas. And like you said, give me a player that can coach or that you can coach, and he wins out every day of the week. I'm, um, I'm not saying he's going to skate like Mason Lorai. I'm not. No, he's not. That's what makes Mason Lorai so special is because he has the size that he has and he has the ability to skate the way that he does. All in one. Yeah. Usually you get one or the other. And constantly yeah. got you the size. Not John, the Be- John Beecher's another one. And not everybody is a John Beecher at that size. I have to say, John Beecher, I love him in the 4C role. Um, I, Chris Davis and I, Chris have um, dropped the mitts. He and I were, were back and forth about Patrick Brown and some of the other veteran guys that they brought in. And obviously you brought in Patrick Brown well before you knew what you were going to get out of John Beecher. Right. And, and the only thing that I was saying as far as why I didn't mind them bringing him in is because as a veteran fourth line tweener kind of player, he's going to, he was going to push a guy like John Beecher in preseason to improve upon the things that you needed him to prove upon to be coachable. Like we're talking about with Konstadinsky, where if a coach says change this, this, and this, when you go down for a face-off and you'll win a few more instead of buzzing off the coach going, no, I, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for years and it's worked for me. Knowing that a guy like Patrick Brown is there who can take his spot. If he listens, Beecher's going to be more coachable and open to it and go, all right, right. He, he's listening to the coach. If I do too, then I still have a shot to beat him. And he did. And he's earned yep. the spot. And I want Beecher at 4C all year. I hope he doesn't get hurt at all because, honest to God, he's one of the pivot points right now of the of the forward grouping where you go, okay, Pasta, Marshan, Beecher. How are we filling in around him? Exactly. Um, I, honestly, I think if the Bruins knew they were going to get get this out of John Beecher this this early, they probably don't sign Brown. I, I don't think so. I, I, I 100% agree with that. I, yeah. I just think there was a, too much The internal competition that they're so high on in this organization paid off for them in this case. It almost paid off with Mason Lorai. Uh, you know, there, there are some quirks. There are some things for him to work on. Um, and I think Montgomery could have done it in Boston with him. I would rather he learned it at the AHL level. Um, 
the only the only qualm I have with Lori learning it at the AHL level is who's Providence's assistant coaches? Like you got Trent Woodfield who went from playing to coaching with no other experience uh, whatsoever. And um, I forget the other guy, but it, it it's not like you have a defensive coach down there or a, a, a guy who coaches defensemen uh, that actually played the game to help him along. And at yeah. least in Boston, he gets that. So I would prefer the AHL um, for him to learn that defensive part of the game, but I don't think the coaching is there for him. Do you think, uh, and obviously as I, I believe he is the director of player development, but do you think Adam McQuaid gets a little bit more involved with a guy like Mason Lorai because of what you just said, as far as the coaching that's available in Providence and knowing just how important this guy can be to you as an organization, do you think, and, and, at development camp, like we saw Lori McQuaid, like a lot of the defensive guys all consistently communicating. I, I can't say it was all 100% coach this way, coach that way, that kind of thing. But even just as like a, a mentor, if you will, be available I, for calls after a game and watch film with them and, and that kind of thing. I, I think he does to a small extent, Chris. Um <clears throat> I think McQuaid's role is more in keeping track of, of the Kostadinskis, the, the Langenbrunners, the, the um, Gallagher's that we talked about before, the prospects under the pro level to make, uh, I mean, I know that he, he was in Guelph a year ago watching uh, Matthew Patra several on several occasions okay so um not only defensemen but he's responsible for for all those guys outside the because i can see like we know how important lori is so is that something that he could i mean obviously anything could happen but you know it's something that i i don't i haven't heard of anything like that but i i can't say it's no heard of either it's not unheard of but McQuaid's schedule brings him uh, I I think he even travels to Europe once in a while to to catch the Europeans Um, so you know his schedule keeps him on the road to keep tabs on the prospects not only not only um, the ones that the Bruins have drafted or or signed as free agents but the Ryan Kerwins, Blake Smith, the the Ty Halliburtas that they had a development camp uh, to have an eye on. He's keeping an eye on them to see um, which, if any of them, they should still be interested in and go after as free agents. Right. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, who was? Oh, the goalie over at Harvard. I'm trying to remember his name. Mulhey. Malahi, yes, he was Malahi, yeah. in the development camp. So I still yeah, want to get he, out and watch him at Harvard. He got burned six nothing the uh, on the weekend. 
Oh boy. Well, I mean, uh, ev- everybody has those games. So, you know, uh, let's see how he bounces back. But the two kids they got in the queue um, that they invited at uh, rookie camp, uh, William Russo and Samuel St. Hilaire. Uh, check their check their stats out when uh, when you got a sec. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to go back to those development camp <laughs> lists and check in on some of those guys. But I I, I know I want to see him over at Harvard because he did look good. He he consistently looked like he was tracking the puck well. Um, was confident post to post. You know, he had great post to post movement. You know confident in going down in the in the butterfly position like he just he he looked like he was thinking the part you know now i'll tell you before you head up head out there make sure you check the starting lineup because he's not getting a lot of starts this year i'll watch him on espn plus (laughs) (laughs) no i I do want to get out there there's there's a few (laughs) that i want i mean obviously it's always better to watch in person but even if i went and he wasn't the starter there's plenty of other guys on that yeah. team watching. Too. Yeah. So it wouldn't be for not, but he was one that made me sit there and go, I got to watch some Harvard this year. So it, um, it'll be interesting to see. And, and if not the Bruins, someone else should be looking at him as well. You only got, I mean, now you're getting 64 in maybe a hundred starting level ish goaltenders in the, in the league. Yeah. Now, some teams are going to a three goalie system. So we'll, we'll see, but, now, can can I say something for while? Because when you said ESPN Plus, it popped in my head. Yes, go uh, for it. Just for anybody in Canada that is listening or watching, um, TSN just released uh, the NCAA television schedule for the month of November. Uh, we are now getting NCAA coverage in Canada as long as you have TSN. So that's better coverage than the States is getting, Chris. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, um, it's an every, game. Yeah. Every single Bruins prospect except one, and I think it was Jake Schmaltz, uh, will be shown on TSN. Some of them on a couple of occasions. In November, if you go to my Twitter, uh, I tweeted it out. You can have access to the schedule there. Make sure you bookmark it uh, because they'll release the schedule for December and then uh, January and February at a later date. I'll put your Twitter handle in the the episode description uh, at Dominic Tiano. I did retweet it myself, so you can go to mine as well and find it. Um, cause I did see that you posted that. I, yeah. I love that for you guys up in Canada because the NCAA game has done nothing but get better and better. And I, it's kind of funny cause the last, you know, the, the start of this season, I've been so focused on trying to watch other NHL teams like, you know, the ducks, the, the, the coyotes, the, the Oilers, you know, in, in so many of them on the West coast that it was just like one day last week, I was like, Oh shit, that's right. The NCAA is on this, on this app too crap now i have that much more than i can watch yeah so pretty soon you're pretty soon you're gonna be you're gonna be getting up five o'clock on a saturday morning to watch games from sweden chris i'm getting you there eh? you, know, you know what's funny is i I'll, there are days i drop my girlfriend off at work at seven o'clock i don't got to be until 8 30 i'm bringing my ipad i'm sitting in the parking lot and i'm pulling up games just to wait till i go inside. yeah i believe it <laughs> you know it's it's 
it's not just the the scouting though, but it's it's just watching a good game of hockey. And as I say yeah. that, they have a timer on right now, the Ottawa Toronto game for the last whistle. It's been over six minutes between whistles. Wow. So, and they're in the third period. It's a one goal game. There's about 13 minutes left. Toronto's out shooting Ottawa 26 to six. So it's a low affair. They just had a whistle. Oh, no, they didn't. They're regrouping in the Ottawa zone right now. It just, you're talking going on seven minutes of straight hockey. Wow. Which is awesome. I, I, I can't believe, when was the last time you saw seven minutes of straight hockey, not a single whistle? Uh, I can't remember, but, but you just reminded me of another thing. If I can bring it up real yeah. quick, uh, uh, another po prospect. So my good friend, uh, Reed Duthie is the play-by-play -play voice of the Brantford Bulldogs. Toronto okay. just scored to tie it. Uh, rats. Sorry. So, uh, Jackson Edward Bruins prospect was playing, playing for the London Knights. And uh, Reed was doing the play-by-play. -play. I was uh, watched this game on on delay because I was out at an, uh, another game. So uh, anyway, when I got home, I watched it, and uh, the kid in Montreal, Jakai, what's his first name? Arbor. Arbor. Okay, his younger brother Florian plays for the Bulldogs. And we all know what kind of mean sons of a bitches they can be. SOBs to play against. Oh, They're yeah. tough. They fight. So OHL players I talk to tell me that Jakai is the most feared player uh, in, the, in the OHL. They hate to go up against them. And the guy who comes in second is Jackson Edward. Good as, to know. As the most feared. So... Something was going on behind the London net that the two ended up nose to nose. And my buddy Reed's doing play by play, and he's he's like, "Oh boy, this is going to be for the heavyweight championship of the of the Ontario Hockey League." Well, the linesman didn't give them two seconds. They were in there to make sure nothing happened. Okay, got uh, the linesman making themselves the show. Yeah, so they escorted Edward to the bench. They let Shakai stay stay out there, and uh, one of the Bolton brothers—I forget which one—Dale um, uh, Hunter, coach of the Knights, says, "Well, okay, make Edward come out to the bench." Threw Bolton out there, right beside Shakai, and they dropped the gloves right after the puck dropped. One of the best fights you will ever see. If you get a chance to look it up, uh, watch it. <laughs> but seeing Edward and Jakai nose to nose, uh, like literally their noses were just about touching. That's how close they got. I thought, oh, here we go. Well, they played last Thursday, and I thought, I'm not going to miss this one. I went to the game because I wanted to see them go, and they just never happened. Oh. I was so pissed off. Oh, that always sucks. And by the way, it was Nate Robertson who got the goal. Oh, it was a, it was, he batted it out of the air, maybe an inch or two off the ice, off of a saucer pass uh, that went over one of the Ottawa players' sticks. 
it was just ever so slightly perfectly passed, but it didn't quite touch the ice, and he batted it just with the blade of his stick uh. right in. And um, what's his name? Uh, I, I don't even know who's playing. I think it is Forsberg tonight. No, it's Corpusalo. Uh, he had no shot at it. So <laughs> um, a, a question that, that you might be able to answer for me, because you know I, I want to get into some of the moves that were made that we've we've talked a little bit about today for the Bruins. Um, but first and foremost, we've, we've talked about the McAvoy hit, the suspension. It is what it is. Grizzly out. Then you have Forboard out. So you see a couple, you know, AHL guys get called up. You, you see Lori, Watherspoon, and, um, and Mitchell. Mitchell. Now, a lot of people sat there and said, this clearly means it's the end for Jakob's Borrow. Now, my question, my, my immediate question becomes, were Mitchell and Watherspoon defensive partners in Providence? Um, I, I think they played on occasion, but I don't think they were like exclusive partners. No. Like, like a Laura, like a Lindholm Carlo kind of pairing. No, because like it, they mixed and matched their defensemen. Like sometimes Regula was on the top pair. Sometimes he was on the bottom pair. So, uh, I, I think they were like Boston is with their forwards. They're mixing and matching to find out what works best. That that's what I wasn't sure about. Cause I, <clears throat> I do remember Watherspoon had a very surprisingly great preseason. He was, yeah, and you know, he, he hasn't been bad in this, in this call up at all. I don't think he has at all. No, I, 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 my thought is I'm trying to figure out why not Zboril. Now, obviously two guys on the right side went down. You had McAvoy. Uh, no, sorry. It was two on the left. You needed a right shot to be one of them. And that I think explains Ian Mitchell. Right. I just, I don't know chemistry-wise, what's going on with some of these guys in Zboril, I feel like a justification, aside from the extra money that Zboril would cost you against the cap, because that's also a huge consideration to it. The yeah, like, I think it's a $400,000 difference. Which, on a day-to-day -day basis, is, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but if you're trying to bank cap space... Well, all... they're, not, they're not banking because they're in LTIR space. What, what they want to do so they can so that they can bank when when everybody is back and healthy and off LTIR they want to use as little LTIR space as they can which is why we saw paper transactions with Steen, Waterspoon and Lori yesterday or was it today? Yesterday they said to get them off the books so they don't use that LTIR, but whatever LTIR space they're using now comes off what they can bank. Right. That's what it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, except with Steen, Steen is, is an exception to the, in this because. He's considered uh, urgency call up, right? No, he, I forget when he was waived, but once once a player is waived, um, he can be brought back up and go back down to the HL without having uh, require waivers 
again for 30 days or 10 games. Okay. Okay. So I think, I think Steen was at the end where he had to go back or it needed to clear waivers again. So that makes sense. Yeah. And now if Lauco is close, I can understand that, but I don't know that Lauco is close. And we, we certainly know that, that Lucic isn't close. Um, because he has to be missing for uh, 24 days or 10 games for right. him to be on LTIR. We know Lucic and Grizz aren't close. No. So uh, I would think Steen gets called back up for the game tomorrow. And if not Steen, maybe they give somebody else a look. I'm not- I, I don't be surprised if it's Farinacci. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I saw his numbers. He's he's doing well down there. Yeah. So because I think Farinacci can play the right side too. I I also I know uh, Trevor Kuntar had a good start to the season as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but he's 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 kind of slowed down the last couple of games. But I love his game. I really do. I, I guess the question becomes: Are how how interested are you at kicking John Beecher back out to the left wing again? I'm not. I, I don't I'm want not. that. So who can play on the left side or the right side that allows you to do, cause you know, Brown's probably back in the lineup. Unless they bring Farinacci up. Farinacci can play the right. They wait. Steen was playing the left or the right. Steen was playing the right side because yeah. they put Heinen on the left. Yeah. So they can put Heinen. Heinen can play both left and right. Now they're also likely going to be missing Geeky as well. Oh yeah, I forgot about Geeky. So Brown probably comes back in, uh, and then you're looking at either bringing Steen back up. Uh, then you're going to have to worry about waivers again. Or I my, think, my I call up would be I would think be finds his way to the third line. Okay. So Brown is in. I, I I don't want to move Beecher to the left. I really don't. I like his game down the middle. Look at it. I look at it like this. Whether that fourth line was was Lucic, Beecher, and Lauko, or um, Steen, Heinen, and, and, and Beecher, uh, both lines did well. And, okay. and what's, what's the common denominator in there? John Beecher's driving that line. Exactly. I'm not um, the pivot point on that line. I don't have his face-off numbers in front of me, but um, the eye test tells me he's doing uh, he's doing well on face-off. I just want to touch on Matthew Patra because the one negative I keep hearing about him is face-offs. Okay. Um, Matthew Patra knows how to win face-offs. His 57% career in, in the OHL. It's not that he doesn't know how to win faceoffs. It's he doesn't have the strength for the for uh the NHL level right now. This kid will be good in faceoffs in a year or two. Just give it time. He, he's uh, also he's also almost 41% on faceoffs. So for a guy who's 19 years old going up against, you know essentially the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world, the you know, Steven Stamkos, Sidney Crosby's like, that's who he's going up against yeah. some of these times. And he's still winning 41 out of a hundred times. Yeah. 
he'll get, get there. He once he get once he gets. But what's Johnny Beecher at? I just want to see my eyes. Dead even at fifty five point oh. Okay, so he's he's doing well on faceoffs. Um, so I I don't want to move him from the middle. Uh, oh. he's he's the common denominator on that line, and if worse comes to worse. You know, you, your call up is based on what you do with Brown. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, like I'd rather see Farinacci on the third line on the right side than on the fourth line. At least that's just me. I feel like he's more of a of a contributor on the third line, if that makes sense. But but see, you you give me a choice between Farinacci and Lysel for the fourth line. I take Farinacci ten times out of ten. For the fourth line. For the fourth line. If, what about you're, the third line? if you're calling for the third line, um, right now I would still give the nod to Farinacci because he's been more consistent from game one to game whatever they're at now, 10 in Providence. Uh, Lysel's only been there for, let's say, half of them because he really stunk it up the first half dozen games i mean your game is going you're going up against i think it's the islanders t- tomorrow yeah who so just lost last night too I, I would look at the matchup too and, and sit there and go you know what we might need more production from the third line who's more consistently producing in that type of role or who's more consistently producing right now that's farinacci um i mean for all we know they could want to get Merkulov a look on the left side and bump Heinen to the right. Like Heinen, that this is one of the advantages of having a guy like Dan Heinen gives you because he literally can slot in anywhere. 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 You could go completely off the board and put him at second line center and you put Sakura Pasternak as your first line. <laughs> Chris, you can go completely off the board and put him on defense in overtime. <laughs> right? I mean he it worked. That's it worked. Part is it fucking worked. Yeah. So this, this is what I I love about this team, and I said it before. People bash Don Sweeney left, right, and center, but you know what this team has that a lot of teams don't. Despite what their salary cap situation is, they have a shit ton of options. Yeah. A and, lot of them. A lot of them. People yeah. don't realize. And we, you know, we I mean, talked. Go ahead. We sorry. talked off. We talked off air before we started recording about the the Bruins prospect system. And I told you, I said I don't pay any attention to the Corey Pronmans or the Scott, um, what's it, Scott Wheelers of the world because I know that I spend 40, 50 hours a week watching hockey just to keep up on a dozen Bruins prospects. And to be able to talk to you guys about about them and what they're doing and what they look like, I can't imagine how any one of these guys do it for 32 teams. Because if you can't watch a prospect for one or two or three games and think you've got to read on them, you've got to watch them from game one to game 68 and see how they're progressing and and how their development is coming along and how they've improved over a year ago or how they finished the season compared to the start of the year to get a read on what prospects are. Now, I'm not saying the Bruins have the greatest prospect system in the NHL, 
but I can guarantee you it's not the worst. Yeah. And, and we we're seeing three examples uh, with Matthew Patra, John Beecher, and Mason Lorai at the at the NHL level that says, hey, maybe those guys don't know what they're talking about. Like I said, it's not the best, but it ain't the worst. Trust so, me. I spend 60 hours a week watching these guys. Oh, I know. I know. And and again, Poitras is a huge one where you've been touting and blowing that horn for well over a year. Sorry, Ottawa just went up six to three. And, awesome. and Wall just got his pocket picked behind the net to give up the sixth one. Awesome. It's Giroux it. came in right from behind him. He had no idea he was coming. And all of a sudden, he just basically yanks it right off the stick. Wall goes to get him. So as he's falling, he passes it. And Giroud just plops it right in. To an awesome. Empty. It was money. Money for, with Tennessee. Doubling up Toronto. Toronto is imploding right now. And I love for, it. I'll meet you. For those that don't know, anytime I'm watching a Leafs game and uh, I'll be sitting on in my recliner or laying down on the couch and they start chanting, go Leafs, go, go Leafs, go. I literally stand up and right along with them, lose, Leafs, lose, lose, <laughs> Leafs, lose. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's great to see. And um, I don't know if you caught the end of the Edmonton game the other night, but they were they were becoming unhinged. And uh, the yeah. coach So all the entertainment is up there in Canada for you that you could possibly yeah. watch. All of the teams are doing something. And, and yet here we are, the Bruins coming out. And again, I'm not surprised that they are good. I'm surprised a little bit that they're this good. You know, I think if you looked at it and, and you were going to be told, yeah, they're going to go 10-1-1, those probably aren't the two games that you would have picked, the Anaheim game and the Detroit game. But at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. And to think about it, those two games, they really could be 12-0-0. Yeah, the, there was some questionable refereeing at the end of that Detroit game. And the Ducks game, they should have won it. it. It is what it is. They should have won it. Yeah. But that, that game right there, what I saw from the Ducks, I walked away and I went, if they can continue to buy in, we were talking about coaching before, if they mm -hmm. can continue to buy into their coaching, and get results like that, they're all of a sudden going to start sitting there going, why can't we do this? And if a young team like that starts having that mindset and believing that they can do it, watch the fuck out. Yeah. And, you know, way back at the beginning when we started this, this podcast, we were talking about Edmonton and, and goaltending. You've got two goaltenders capable of stealing games, mm -hmm. Allmark and Swayman, and they've both stolen games. And 100%. when when they, you know what? They're one of the are they, what are they? Second best defensive team in the league right now in terms of goals against something like <laughs> that. They're up there again, right? But. They've had defensive lapses. They're still learning. They, you know, the last three couple of games, two games, they've had three regular defensemen out of the lineup. 
yeah, you're you're literally playing half an AHL lineup at defense, and yeah. you guys are still um, the goals per game have gone up a little bit with these uh, injuries yeah. and losses on the blue line. You're not you're not giving up two goals a game. You're giving up three to four. You're still managing to win because you're you're forward grouping. My concern was the goal scoring on this team, but you still have Pasternak. I, I mean. I, I don't know about you, but I love Zaka better on the left wing across from Pasternak. I don't I think you're right. I think you're right. Middle. And it, it's ironic because you do see a little Krejci-esque in Poitra when he's between those two. And I and I love it. I'm here for it. But then what do you do at 2C? Like, that's my question. And, and that's yeah. where I sit there and I go you got plenty of guys that you can try. And right now you have a point lead that you can try and cycle some guys in. We, you, when, when, when I was talking to you before he even officially made the team, you and I talked about it. Zaka, Poitra, Pasternak. That's a top line right there. Yeah. Are they a two-way line enough? I think they're a, a number two line just because of the defensive abilities of them. But if you have Marshan and, you know, DeBrusque with, player X in the middle, that line is going to be very solid defensively. Then you have, I like Van Riemsdyk, Coyle, and Frederick together. I wouldn't touch that line. That's a defensively solid line. And then the Beecher line, whoever you're putting with them, they're dominating. I mean, yeah. could you feasibly see, let's see. I know it's been a while since he's played center, but I, I like Geeky in the middle, by the way. I'm, I'm going to throw that out there. He's looked uh, comfortable, more comfortable mm -hmm. at the center the few times he's been out there. I wouldn't mind seeing Geeky between Marshan and DeBrusque for a little bit. No, like you say, they have they have they have enough of a cushion to try it. Um, what are they? Six points ahead of Detroit with a game in hand, I believe. Something like that. Yeah. I can check the standings for you, but that sounds about right. It, it, and I'm not saying you have to do it for forever, but, no, but I, a, a six point lead, five points over Detroit, uh, Tampa. Tampa's got five. 16. What's what's Detroit at? 15 points. Oh, oh yeah, the, Tampa. Yeah. Okay. But a five, even a five point lead, 12 games in. And you have the game in hand on both of them. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. When when he gets healthy, I wouldn't mind <laughs> seeing Geeky between Martian and, and DeBrusque. They're all physical guys. They all have a, a, a pretty decent defensive game. And they all can find the back of the net. They play a similar style. I, I don't know about the offense, but when you have Martian and DeBrusque as goal scorers on that line, I think you'll be okay. Call me crazy, but I, I think those guys can make it work. If you have an offensive top line of Zaka, Poitra, and Pasternak, you're going to find the back of the net with those guys. Beecher, Heinen, and Lauko, you can put Lucic in place every once in a while for, for Heinen, or with Heinen's abilities, you can pull um, Lauko out and give him a breather every once in a while and go Lucic, Beecher, and Heinen. Yeah, Heinen. Yeah, yeah. They, He's also have, guy that can go up to that second line if you need to give DeBrusque a little bit of time. 
because he just got off of a, got off of a PK. They have they have countless countless options. Um, I think if there's one area that they need to improve to take the pressure off five on five scoring, it's the power play. And yeah. I, you know, we, you and I have talked for well over a year about uh, power play quarterback. And is Charlie McAvoy a true power play quarterback? Is, is um, Matt Grizzlick a true power play quarterback? Hampus Lindholm, go down the line, and they're not. I, I, I do think it comes also, they're still trying to get used to the left <laughs> shot in Zaka being down in the bumper area instead of... Yeah. But, but I, I want to see them substitute Patra up there for a little while just to see if that helps. No, I'll, I'll tell you what I would do because none of the defensemen have the threat of the shot from the point. And I know it's Brad Marchand's spot and... People on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now called me nuts uh, because they're not taking Marshan off the first power play unit. And I never once suggested taking Marshan off the first power play unit. What I suggested was putting Matthew Patra on the right side half wall, which is the spot that Marshan plays right now. Move Marshan down to the side of the net where JBR is currently occupying the space and move JBR to the second power play unit. And I'll tell you why. Um, that improves your second power play unit a lot too. Yeah. I have watched Matthew Patra for three years now. And most people that are listening to this have watched him for 12 games. Well, plus preseason. Well, plus preseason. <laughs> okay, let's give it 18 games, okay? I'm telling you, Matthew Patra, and I made this comparison while he was still in the OHL, is like Mark Savard on that right side half wall. The only difference is Mark Savard's a left hand and Matthew Patra's a right hand. And I guarantee you, Matthew Patra is capable of making that pass from along the boards on the right side all the way over to the left circle and finding David Pasternak uh, for the one-timer. And how do I know that he's capable of doing it? Is because I saw him feed Braden Bowman those pucks for the exact same shot from the exact same spot that David Pasternak uh, flies in for. Now, how su successful was he at it? Uh, let's put it this way. Braden Bowman scored 42 goals last year uh, with, with Matthew Patra feeding him pucks like that. Isn't that half uh, of Patra's assists? Yeah. <laughs> um, Braden Bowman is on pace for 22 goals this year without Matthew Patra feeding him pucks. Wow. That's half as much. Right. A little okay. more than half. Math for those of you listening. Yeah. So I, I'm telling you. That's a big difference. Matthew Patro will get the get David Pasternak the puck. And um that 
cutback you see him do all the time five on five he he's even more efficient at it on on the power play and you give matthew patra that extra space with the ability he has to pass the vision and the iq he will find david pasternak i'm giving you three years of watching this kid versus 18 games you guys have watched him yeah, and I I do think we saw some of it. There was, uh, I think it was the preseason game against the Capitals where he made that move. He drew a second defender towards him, and then he cut back. He had a one-on-none, and he burned Kemper with it. I think it was the Capitals. Like, he, he even knew that with the one-on-one that he had, he drew someone in. He had, because he brought it along the red line. I don't know if you remember which one I'm talking about. But he did that yes, cutback yes, against the yes. wall. That was no, on a power that, play. Was that Washington? No. I thought it was Washington. I could be wrong. I know he beat a solid, like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a Darcy kind of netminder with it. And, and, um, but I mean, you, you just know, like, if there had been a pass there that made sense, he would have taken it. He would have. You know, and he, that's one of those ones where because the cutback move worked, he had the opening. He went, I'm going to take it to the net. And if I see the pass, I'm going to draw the goalie towards me anyway. I'll dish it out. The, the goalie didn't draw the way he, you know, he was expecting. He put it over the goalie's shoulder. Yeah. I can't remember what game that was. Maybe it was Washington. I, I could be wrong. I, I want to say it was Washington. Um, Cause I want to say it was like Kuznetsov that came over. Um, but I, I could very easily be wrong. But the point is, is, that IQ is there. He's thinking it. He sees it. He sees it as it happens. Like that's that you can't beat that. So he, he sees the play be, before anybody else does. Like even on that right side half wall, he has the ability to draw somebody in and then find Marshan uh, down down by the the right side post. And oh, Marshan yeah. can either throw it out to the bumper. Or across to Pasternak. It's just, I, I think that would solve a lot of their power play problems. I <laughs> love to see it. I'm, I'm sure they're going to come up with some other things and and try to see what they can do to improve upon it. So let's, let's, let's see how they go about it during the during the next few games and stuff. Uh, you and I were talking before the show. We're going to have a lot more Bruins content. Uh, you and I. So stay tuned some for some announcements on that. But I do want to wrap this up a little bit. Uh, not very many people sit down for two and a half hours to listen to a pod, which we're approaching. So I do want to wrap it up so that our listeners know that because uh, you and I could do this all night. Oh, and, yeah. And we would. But um, just any final thoughts, whether it's the Bruins or, or anything else. And, and like I said, you and I are going to continue to talk about some things in the works um, to get more Bruins content out there, more hockey content um, and and just obviously your connections your your experience is is definitely something that we're glad to have you lend towards us here uh for this show and others that i've done in the past that i'm looking to bring back by the way um yeah. we'll keep talking about that but final thoughts for this episode um so we can wrap it up for these folks hey, just same thing i always say chris is you know fan fans need to be patient there's going to be some rocky moments throughout the season just enjoy the ride and um you know 
a lot of the experts said, you, you know, never count the Bruins out. The Bruins are going to be top three in this in this division. Chris picks him, picked them to win. I was there. I heard him say it. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of doom and gloom about amongst uh, Bruins Nation. Just be patient, enjoy the ride, and um, when it comes to the prospects, don't always believe uh, what is written by the pros out there. Because uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm your go-to uh, guy or the one you should. Be That's listening what I to. heard. That's what I heard. Well, you know, <laughs> it's it's all I'm saying is just be careful of the content you read and and. And, you know, if you use a little bit of your own logic and common sense, like person X can't possibly be watching 600 prospects a year and coming out with his own list and who's the best. Just not possible. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> that it's just not possible. And, and realistically, it should be the reverse. It's okay to miss a guy for six or seven games a season, but you really need to be flipping it over and watching them 90% of the time to really have a good read as to, to who they are. And it's tough to do. That's the entire point. Yeah. It's hard to do. And that's why there are some prospects that we're <laughs> always going to have a better read on than others. Because I, I remember I went to, this was back in Oh six Oh seven. Uh, it was, uh, Corey Schneider was the goaltender at BC. It was the Beanpot final. Yeah. I was at that game. And I remember I watched him for one game and I went, this kid is going to be a really good NHL goaltender. And I'm like, I, I see there's potential that he could help a team go to the Stanley Cup and possibly win it. But off of one game, I wasn't going to sit there and go, this guy's a Stanley Cup winner. You know, I'm like, but he, he had everything you were looking for in a goaltender. And yes, it was one game, but I'm like, he, he goes to the right school. He's going to get looks. It, people are already watching him. He's going to get a chance and he'll do something with it. And sure enough, he got the chance in New Jersey. Like that's as vague of a scouting report as you can possibly get off of one game and yeah. be somewhat accurate. And that's also in context. It was the bean pot final. So, like, if you're going to stand on your head, and I want to say they won that game, like, 3-2 to two or 4-3 to three or something like that, and he stood on his head. He made well over 30 saves in that game, if I remember correctly. Like, I just remember watching him save after save. You know, he gave up rebounds, but he was always in a position to stop the rebound. And when he was able to, he stopped play. And it just was the poise and all those things that you see going on up in the head where you go, he's got the drive. If he's given a chance, he will do something with that chance. Exactly what? Don't know. But he got a chance, pushed some players, didn't end up having the career I, I think even he was hoping he would have, but still had a solid NHL career. I would take it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm often asked, how do you watch a hockey game? And I said, well, I, if I'm going to a game, I don't, I, I don't go to watch a hockey game. I go to watch three hockey players. 
and I'll pick three players before I get there that I want to key on and I watch. And um, I watch them on the ice. I watch them, how they're reacting on the bench to what's happening on the ice. I'm watching how they interact uh, with their teammates on the bench. I'm watching how they interact with their coaches. Uh, I'm watching whether they're directing traffic while, when they're setting up for a face-off. Um, I carry three stopwatches with me, uh, one for each player. But I never watch a hockey game. And I'll give you an example. Um, I forget what game it was. Faceoff was in the uh, in the Bruins' end, and uh, Brandon Carlo was on the the faceoff was to the left of Swayman. So Brandon Carlo was on the right side of the faceoff circle. I. I Wish I could remember who they were playing. But anyway, their player got not thrown out of the face-off circle uh, who happened to be a lefty. And then a righty came in to take the draw. And Brandon Carlo noticed this. And Lucic was on the left side and he motioned for them to switch. And Lucic just put his palms up like, and Carlo pointed at the, handedness of, of these guy coming in to take the face off and then it became clear just little things like that where um because if you want if you have a righty taking that face off you want the right shot against the wall uh to better protect in case of a face off loss and you want the lefty on the right side for the same reason so brandon carlo heads up notices that um and and makes the switch and calls for a realignment of of how they're setting up and these are things that i watch for um whether i'm going to watch junior hockey or uh, major junior or or you know um junior a hockey uh when i'm watching a player yeah that's why i key in on three players and i don't ever really watch a hockey game well I appreciate you jumping on. As I said, your, your stories, your examples are, are fantastic and, and nothing. I, I will always go back to the conversation that we had about Brett Harrison. Andrew and I looked for at development camp. We saw exactly what you were talking about. And honestly, I loved the fact that when we saw him in preseason this year, that shiftiness, I guess you could call it the less willing to be physical was out of his game. I, I don't want to say yeah. it's completely gone, but it was it was a lot more noticeable that he was willing to get down and dirty in the corners, take a hit, make a hit. And I know they played him a lot at left wing. I love that move for him. Yeah, I, I agree. But and and you have to give the credit to a guy you mentioned earlier and Adam McQuaid, because uh, you know, he ran development camp. He, he was the one out there talking to the players. This is what I want to see from you. And this is what I expect from you. Uh, not just me. This is what the Boston Bruins expect from you. And that tells me he's the right man for that job. It, exactly. Exactly. Now, the Bruins are going to be okay. What's that? I said the Bruins are going to be okay. Yeah. Take the worry meter down a little bit. 
Yeah. We, we keep saying it every year, but every year everybody worries and look what happens. So appreciate you again, joining us. Um, oh, like my I, pleasure, buddy. Keep an eye out. We're going to have a lot more Bruins content as well. Um, announcements will be made through my own uh, Twitter at Cnozik6342. It'll be in the uh, description uh, at Dominic Tiano. His will be in the description as well. Uh, and our our channel pod, our pod distribution uh, on Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it, at Puckoff6342. We'll make all the announcements and anything that's coming down the road, uh, hopefully very, very soon. And uh, if, if, if you don't like just Bruins coverage, that's a good thing because this is always still puck off. And Chris is back and he's going to have to, he's going to have to listen to what I had to say when uh, he watches the podcast. <laughs> I'll go back and edit it. Don't worry. Oh, no, you just come back just in time. I was explaining to everybody what I watched for and gave the Brandon Carlo example. So, Perfect. yeah, I, I don't watch a hockey game. I'll, I, I key on three players and that's it. 